This morning we, uh, we stay in the Gospel of Mark, going to chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, and it is a, it is a big chunk, but it's going to be mostly Jesus talking, and, uh, and we'll get some good stuff out of it. What we are looking at today, as I said in the intro, or in the welcome time, as we tie this into the Great Commission, and that we are to teach those that we make disciples. You know, we are to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But once, once you're baptized, that's not it. As one pastor, I, I, I remember saying it, you know, he said if, if, if all it was about was getting people saved and baptized and going to heaven, when we baptize them, we just want to bring them back up again. You know? Uh, it's more than that. It's about living the Christian life. And how do we live the Christian life here on earth, making more disciples and teaching them to observe, unless we are taught to observe? And how do we live the Christian life unless we find out from Jesus the things that He wants us to do and how He wants us to live? And one of the things that, that comes into this, uh, over 2,000 years of the church being in existence, there are a lot of things that we do that are passed down to us from our elders, from our uh, fathers and our mothers, things that you could call traditions. We do things in the, in the church today in America that were not done in Jerusalem in A.D. 60, that were not done in Asia Minor, what is present-day Turkey, in A.D. 100. We do things differently today. And a lot of what we do is tradition. And so we are going to look at the struggle between dealing with traditions handed down to us from other Christians, other believers, and the Word of God. Because what can happen a lot of times is that traditions get in the way of the Word of God. Traditions can, can uh, become things that they were never intended to. To be. Now, traditions are good in and of themselves. It's good to have traditions. I like establishing and maintaining traditions. Traditions help us know who we are and, and put us in a place and a time. But the, the struggle with traditions are if they become overreaching. And so that's what we are going to look at today this question of what do we observe? What we observe. The, the word observe in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, has the idea of keeping it, watching over, guarding. So when he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, the focus is all that I commanded you. To observe doesn't mean just to look at it and watch it over there, but to guard it, to keep it, to watch over it, to make sure that we are focused on Jesus' commandments. And that is what we as a church are supposed to be teaching new believers. We are supposed to be teaching them to watch over, to observe, to keep, to guard what Jesus has commanded. And what can happen in the church is a very similar thing that, what, that happened to the nation of Israel over the years. Is that traditions started choking out the Word of God. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as Jesus interacts with some Pharisees and scribes. But the, the heart of the matter for us today, what are the traditions in our lives? And do these traditions in our lives 
take precedent over the Word of God, or do we keep them in their place and keep the Word of God first and foremost? That is the struggle that we we wrestle with in life, and that is the struggle that, uh, unfortunately, the Pharisees and the scribes didn't wrestle with very much, as we will see. Let's go ahead and look at chapter 7 here in Mark. And uh, we're going to walk through it. It is a big passage. So let's just take the first little chunk real quick. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. It says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands. That is, unwashed. Now, they don't mean that their hands were dirty, you know, that they had just gone to the bathroom and come back and were putting their hands in the communal dish. That, that's not what they're talking about. In fact, he gives us some clarification here in verse 3 for the Gentile readers that would not be familiar with this. He says in verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. This is a ceremonial cleansing of their hands. Not, not let's get the dirt off, but even if you had what we would consider to be clean hands, as you go to eat, you would ceremonially wash with some water. Not only that, in verse 4 he tells us, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And you might be looking at a translation that includes couches. You know, that they would, they would wash all the implements that they use to eat. They would uh, wash maybe the food as they come home from the market or, from, or themselves. They, they have uh, things to observe, uh, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And, and some translations include and beds or couches. And, and that would be what they would sit on while they were eating. And, and now, here's the thing. If your Bible translation doesn't include that, if your Bible translation ends with copper pots, here's why. Because the word for wash in verse 4, uh, such as the washing of cups, is the word baptizo, where we get baptized from. And it literally means to dip. That's why we believe that baptism is the full immersion of a human being in the water, because the word means to, to dip, to submerge and bring out again. And so because the word baptizo is there, you know, you can cleanse a pot by putting it in water and bringing it out again. You, you can cleanse a cup and utensils and pitchers by putting them in the water and bringing them out again. But who's going to dip a couch in a big bucket of water? You're not. But see, they're not talking about baptizing in the sense of dipping. It's baptizo in the sense of ceremonial cleanliness. Blessing it. Cleansing it so that it is useful for the people of God. Because you've got to understand the word for, previously, the word for impure hands. Impure hands are um, not dirty. But the word for impure is actually uh, shared, common, profane. It's the word koinos. And it means something that is common. Something that is shared. So, so they would wash their hands so that they could become pure. Therefore, separated for God. Not common use, but righteous. 
Just as we say, you know, uh, to be holy is to be other, to be separated. So when God makes somebody holy or sanctifies them, He separates them from everyone else. That was the idea here. And so what they're doing is they're taking the copper pots that are for sale for anybody. And then they bring them home and they bless them. They baptize them. They ceremonially make them clean so that they can use them. And the same thing even with their couch. This is why it was unheard of. Remember a few weeks ago when Jesus was willing to go to the centurion's home? And the centurion said, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. You you don't need to do this. Just say the word. It was so strange that Jesus was willing to do that because Jews did not go into Roman or Gentile houses. Because everything in that house would have been defiled. It would not be pure. If you go today into an Orthodox Jewish home, you will see two, at least two refrigerators. Because in our fridge, we put meat, and in fact, we've got, we've got a little basket. We put lunch meat and cheese right in that thing together, you know, because that way I can just pull that basket out and I've got everything I need to make a sandwich. They're together. In a Jewish household, a, an Orthodox, observant Jewish household, you would have to go to one fridge to get cheese. And then you'd have to go to another fridge to get the meat because you can't put those together. And in fact, they can't even eat a ham and cheese sandwich. That would be you know, it's not kosher. The observance of the food laws and the dietary laws. And because of that, a Jewish person would never invite a Gentile into their home. They've blessed everything. Everything has been blessed and it has been washed and it is ceremonial clean for Jews only. And so the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees, their problem is here you've got Jesus and His disciples aren't washing their hands according to the traditions. As they tell us in verse 5, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they come to Jesus and they ask Jesus, They asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? They are not washing their hands and getting ready to eat, but instead they are eating their bread with impure hands, with common hands. They haven't made their hands holy so that they can eat the food. They're eating them with just common hands, like any other Greek person might do. Notice the question, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, that which has been handed down or over from those who are close to us? Now, a question to a teacher about why do your people not do this is a question about why aren't you making them do this? Why aren't you teaching them to do this. A question about Jesus' disciples to Jesus is a question about Jesus. It's just a roundabout and less direct way of doing it. It's less offensive. Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions? Something similar happens at another time when the, the Pharisees come to him and say, why don't your disciples fast? Well, they're really getting at, why aren't you teaching them better? That's the question that they are bringing to him. And so Jesus, in answer, he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. And a hypocrite was a word used in Greek of an actor. Uh, the actors, the Greek actors at that time, would, would uh, put different masks on to be either happy or sad or a god or a common man or a hero or a villain. They had different masks, but the same actor underneath. And so a hypocrite is to judge under 
And it's the idea that we put on one face, but we act another way. And that's what it means to be a hypocrite. Okay? A, a hypocrite says, don't do what I do. Except they don't say it that way. Because you, know, you can say, hey, I went down a wrong road, don't do it. That's not a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a person that says, go, go left here, don't ever go right, but goes right themselves because they know they can get ahead or something. You know, that's a hypocrite. A person who tells other people to do one thing, but then does something else on a regular basis. So he calls them hypocrites. You act like you're so righteous. You act like you worship God, but you're a hypocrite. You're not really worshiping God. He says, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. These are... these or quotes from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. He continues in verse 8, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Now, what is Jesus getting at there? What is he, he, he just, you know, I mean, just, just let's put ourselves in the Pharisees' position. They're, they're saying, hey, why aren't your disciples washing their hands like, like our fathers taught us to, like any righteous person does? And, and Mark even says, you know, all the Jews do this. And, and when you say that, you mean all the righteous, good, worshiping Jews, not necessarily the common people who have to work for a living. So maybe his fishermen uh, disciples and maybe his tax collector disciple didn't grow up with this practice. Or maybe they did, but after watching Jesus and noticing that Jesus didn't do it, they stopped doing it. Maybe they were learning from their master. But Jesus, he cuts the, the, the Pharisees off at the pass. Whereas they're saying, why aren't they following the traditions? He says to them, you're a bunch of hypocrites. And Isaiah prophesied about you that this people honors me with their lips. They say they honor me. They, they speak honorable things. And yet their heart is far from me. And their, their worship of me is vain. It's empty. It's a mist. Because their teaching is doctrines. Their teaching is the true teaching. What are merely the precepts of mankind. Precepts are, in, are, are ordinances and, and instructions. And this is really what has become the, the, the Jewish faith today is a, a debate and a discussion not on the Word of God, but on the interpretations of the Word of God that are handed down from the rabbis over centuries. And, and that's what the religion has become. It's become a debate on not what did God say, but what this rabbi said or that rabbi said and which one holds more weight. But notice, notice what Jesus is saying there, that this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Here, here's the, the, the first thing we see about traditions. And traditions are a good thing. But any good thing taken to an extreme becomes a weakness or a bad thing. Okay? A little bit of ice cream is good. Five gallons at a sitting is not good. Right? A little bit of medicine is good. Too much medicine becomes an overdose. Tradition is a good thing. But taken to an extreme, 
it becomes a bad thing. And here's one of the reasons why. As we focus on tr- the traditions, as the focus of, uh, and the discussion and, and, and life becomes about the traditions we have, as we focus on it, focusing too much on traditions can distance us from God. We, we, we are not as close to Him, we are closer to our traditions. Our, our traditions become the focus and we can sometimes lose sight of what the Word of God says. And if you think about the traditions, not necessarily just the traditions that we hold as a, as a body of believers, but the different kinds of churches throughout the world, throughout history. You've got the Catholic Church, you've got the Eastern Orthodox Church, you've got the Presbyterians, you've got the Anglicans, you've got the Methodists, you've got the Lutherans. I mean, we're barely touching the, the surface. There's lots more. But some of those traditions that they've developed, we, we don't have things like going and, and uh, confessing our sins to a priest. We don't have the need for a priest to absolve us of our sins and to give us certain things to do that get us back on God's good side. And, and you will not find those things in Scripture. Those are traditions. And they are traditions that separate people from God because now they have to go to a priest. And the priest tells them, you say so many prayers. So many Our Fathers, so many Hail Marys. And you can make up for, you can do penance, make up for your sins. So many traditions end up separating us and pushing us away from God. And that's the, that's the problem with it. If we focus too much on traditions, focusing too much on tra- traditions can separate us from God. It can distance us from Him. And this is, this is Jesus' claim to the scribes and the Pharisees. This is, his, uh, this is Isaiah's claim, speaking on behalf of God, of the people in his time. That they honor him with their lips, and yet they're distant to him. Their, their hearts are far away. Their, their worship is in vain because they're teaching not what God has said, but the doctrines or the precepts of men as the doctrine that they are teaching. Now, Jesus gives us an illustration of what this looks like. In verse 9, he says to them, uh, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, which is Exodus 20, uh, verse 12, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death, Exodus 21, 17. Both of these are from what's called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In, in your Bible, if you go back to Exodus chapter 21, verse 17, instead of speaks evil, it'll probably say something closer to curse. And so some of the New Testament uh, translations have changed it to curse just to make that connection. But the, the Septuagint that Mark obviously was working with has he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. So, so Moses has proclaimed in the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, the, the, the Pentateuch, what was they were supposed to be focused on. Oops. Uh, if, if a man says to his father, yep, typo, sorry about that, sorry about that. Uh, so you have the, the Word of God the Pentateuch saying, honor your father and your mother. He who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. So honor your father and mother and don't say anything against them. 
And then in verse 11 he says, But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban. Now Corban is a, Greek, or is a Hebrew word which means a gift. All right, Corban is, so, so Mark is just taking that, transliterating it straight into the Greek. We've done the same thing. We've taken it out of the Greek and transliterated it straight into English. But thankfully, Mark gives an explanation. He says, that is to say, given to God. Corban, uh, something that was Corban was an offering to the Lord. It was set apart. It was holy. It was only for use for God. And so if a person has a mother or father who would need his help, Okay, his mother and father, as they get older, they would not be able to support themselves. It was the responsibility of the son to take care of his parents, the eldest son. That's why Jesus at the cross takes care of Mary and gives her uh, an adoption to John to be John's mom. So that not so much that John can have a mom, he's already got a mom. It was an adoption that John would take care of Mary as his mother. Jesus was saying, John. I am leaving it to you to take care of my mother in my place. That's what he was doing. An eldest son was supposed to take care of his mother and even his father if he was still alive when they were no longer able to take care of themselves. And yet here, a man is saying to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban. It is a gift given to God. I am giving it to God. You... In verse 12, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus, invalidating the Word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. So what he's saying is that this man could could proclaim that all of his worldly goods are for the Lord. They're Corban. He doesn't have to give them over right then. He can use them for the rest of his life. But he can't use them to support his parents because he has already dedicated it to the Lord. He can't give it to his parents. No, that's for the Lord once I'm dead. It was a loophole. It was a way of getting out of having to take care of his parents. And he was doing it using the interpretation and the motivation and what mattered most to the Pharisees and the scribes. The dedication of the money to the synagogue. The dedication of the money to the Lord's use. They're going to get that money someday. And now he doesn't have to take care of his parents, even though that's what Moses said. And that's what God cares about more. God doesn't care about getting more money into the coffers of the temple or the synagogue or in our day, the church. You know, if if you were to say, oh, I'm just going to give everything I have to the church and therefore I don't have to take care of my parents who are elderly, that would be wickedness. And that is not something that honors God. And yet, that is what they were allowing to do. And so Jesus is telling them, you're neglecting the commandment of God. You you set aside the commandment of God. You invalidate the Word of God. He just keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger in His language. And, and, And here's where traditions become bad. Traditions are good, but traditions become bad when they supersede God's Word. And in this case, the command to take care of and honor and speak well of and take care of your parents is tossed aside because of the tradition of being able to proclaim your goods, Corban, of gift to God, but yet you get to still use them until they 
until you give them up. It's very similar to if you were to, to go in, in your will, and we've had members do this, where in their will they, uh, you know, they, they mention the church as one of their heirs. That a certain amount of my, uh, in my wealth that is left over when I'm dead is going to go to the church for these purposes. People do that for different charities. You can do that for the church. And it's a wonderful thing to do. But here what he's doing is he's saying, I'm not going to give anything to my family. I'm not going to help my parents today because it's all been blessed for the Lord. Now that's not what God would have intended. It's not what God wants, but it's what the scribes and the Pharisees are willing to see happen. And when we see that, we see tradition start to supersede the Word of God. And this is what we've got to be careful about for ourselves, that our traditions do not become so great that they push aside the Word of God, the commandments of Jesus. And, and let me tell you, just about everything that separates one church from another is not the Word of God. It is tradition of mankind. We baptize. Baptizo means to dip, as I said earlier. We believe in full immersion baptism. And we believe in believer's baptism, which, which means that we don't baptize anybody until they proclaim their own faith in Jesus Christ and that God has uh, brought the Holy Spirit in their lives. We don't, we don't baptize you just because you want to get closer to God. No, we, we practice what is called believer's baptism. And we believe that it is founded in Scripture, and it is. I, I would not feel comfortable just dipping a person or, or, or just sprinkling a person, and I would definitely not feel comfortable if somebody brought me a child that they wanted to baptize as a promissory note on a future salvation. Not going to do that. Don't believe in it. Don't see it in Scripture. There are other believers who do. There are people who have the Holy Spirit within them, and they believe in child baptism. Uh, uh, a sort of a promissory note that someday this child is going to believe. And we're baptizing them in the church today. I remember when I was in boot camp, one guy, we were out at Camp Pendleton doing the, the field stuff and the learning how to shoot uh, in marksmanship and stuff like that. And in one of the church services, one of the recruits was baptized. He stood up in front of his peers and proclaimed his faith in Jesus Christ. And they had a little baptismal font in the chapel and they took a little bit of water out of there and they sprinkled it on him. And he was baptized. I believe that was believer's baptism. He was a believer. Proclaiming his faith in Jesus Christ and he was being baptized in the manner that was available to him at that time. But if that gentleman would come to church here today and want to join our fellowship, we would nullify his baptism. We would say to him, that's all well and good, but it wasn't good enough. You see, you need to get dunked. You need to go fully under the water and fully out. Now, I firmly believe that is the best way to get baptized. But I also firmly believe that we make a joke of the man's first baptism and we make a joke of our baptism when we do that to people who come to us from a different tradition, who have believer's baptism, but it just happened to be in a different mode than we hold to. And this is a tradition of men handed down. It has not always been and in every place the practice of the church. What matters most? The baptism of the Holy Spirit 
or dunking. I hope we would all agree, baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has come upon us. And, and while I hold a dunking and would always look for enough water that I can get a person completely submerged under the water, what is my attitude and what is our attitude towards those who come from a different faith practice, who have been believers when they declared themselves and, and, and put themselves forward for baptism, and submitted to the form of baptism that was available to them at that time, which just happened to be sprinkling instead of dunking. Do we say to them, yeah, it wasn't good enough. That's what we do. In fact, we tell them, look, uh, you're, we, we, we firmly believe in the baptism that you did receive. However, to be a member here, we need you to get up here and be dunked because it's in our bylaws. Our bylaws will in this book. Our bylaws are for our purposes and our benefit. They are traditions of men. They're good things. You need them. But the downside to it is we end up pushing people away and having disfellowship because they don't agree with the same traditions that we agree with. We do this. And the question for us is not, oh, let's get rid of all traditions. The question is, make sure our traditions are not so great that the Word of God does not supersede them. Make sure our traditions are not so great that they supersede God's Word, that they take precedent. They go first. No, God's Word should go first. And there are many things that we do that churches in our community do. Most of the things that separate us as Christians are the traditions of men handed down. And we ignore the things that Jesus has told us. For instance, love your enemies. So if I'm supposed to love my enemy, I definitely am supposed to love my brother or sister in Christ, yes? Even my brother or sister in Christ, who happens to go to a different kind of denomination, or maybe was baptized in a different way, or maybe believes a few different things than I do. But they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe He died on the cross. They believe He rose again. They believe that by having faith in Him, they will have salvation. They've received the Holy Spirit. And yet, so often, Christians just discount one another and push one another away because we don't hold to the same traditions of men. I remember one time I was praying, and I I prayed, Amen. And a man came up to me afterwards and said, You know, if you don't say in Jesus' name... He doesn't hear you. The difference between your prayer and a Muslim's prayer is you say in Jesus' name. That's a tradition of men. I've never found Jesus to pray in his own name. Go through and find Paul saying in Jesus' name. He says, Amen. Because when Jesus said pray in my name, he meant pray in my spirit, pray in my character. Pray according to who I am. Not make sure you tack me on on the very end just so you get it in the express lane. But those are the traditions of men that we pass down and we push and to the point where we forget what Jesus has taught us. The commandments that He wants us to observe. And I mean, I, I can't count how many times I've talked to and, and heard Baptist, we're Baptists, so it's mostly Baptists I hear say things, you know, but especially about Catholics not being believers. We don't agree on a lot of their practices, and a lot of their practices are the traditions of men, but I believe, while not necessarily all Catholics are believers, I do believe that 
Catholics can be believers and follow their faith in the Catholic Church. Because it's not about the traditions, but yet the traditions can't get in the way. And I, I will grant you, I think they have a harder time at it. But we have the same problems. We have traditions that get in the way. We have people that are so full of the tradition that when you try to share with them the Word of God, they get angry with you. In the Baptist church, I'm not talking about here. They've all left. Uh, but that's the fact. Our traditions can become so great that when the Word of God is spoken, we can't stand to hear it if it contradicts our traditions. That's what happened when Jesus Christ, I mean, think of it, Jesus Christ showed up. The Word of God in flesh, and the Pharisees rejected him. They could not accept him because he did not keep to their traditions. I pray we don't go in the same direction that they went. I'm trying to get ahead of myself a few times. Let me, let me get back to, to Mark here. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. After he'd had this interaction with the Pharisees and the scribes, he called the crowd to him again and began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. And Mark gives us, well, there's a possible, you know, verse 16, maybe it was there, maybe it wasn't. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. It's a very short, I don't even know if parable is the right word for it, but that's what Mark uses. The, this, uh, it's not what goes into you that defiles you, it's what comes out of you, what proceeds from the man or what defile him. All right? and, and so he said to them, they asked him about the parable, and he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated? And in the Greek, it's much, much cruder than that. He is in essence saying, whatever goes into your mouth goes into the sewer. It doesn't defile you. Because it doesn't go into your heart. And, and, and Mark tells us, thus he declared all foods clean. Now, this wasn't exactly accepted and understood by the, the, the believers at the time, but Mark is obviously pushing forward and saying, hey, here it is. Jesus even said it. He didn't come out clearly and say, thus all food is clean, but because of what he is saying, that whatever you eat does not defile you. Now, the Jewish people had several foods that they were not supposed to eat. They had laws and rules about what kind of food they could eat. You know, they, they, they could eat cows because their, shoes, their, their feet were, were um, split hoof and they, they chewed a cut. You know, they, they, there were rules about what kind of... You, you couldn't eat an animal that had a split hoof and didn't chew a cud. You couldn't eat shellfish. Fish had to have scales. Catfish was out. There were certain rules about what they could eat. They couldn't eat pork. But here, Jesus is saying, look, all those rules, they had a purpose, but those are those... You know, the food, if you happen to eat food that's wrong, if you happen to eat unclean animals, ceremonially unclean animals, or if you happen to eat with unwashed hands, that's not going to make you defiled. It's not going to make you unclean because that food is going into your mouth, into your stomach, 
through your intestines and out. But instead, in verse 20, he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. It's not what we eat or take in necessarily, but what we say and what we do. That's what defiles us. He says in verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. And the, 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 the crazy thing here is oftentimes traditions protect those evil things. You know, think about the, the story that Jesus gave us about a man who doesn't provide for his mom and dad so that he can give all of his money to God when he dies. That tradition enables his wickedness. That tradition protects him in his wickedness. A lot of times, the, the wickedness we see in the world and in the church is protected by the traditions of men when the Word of God is so clear and attacking, like a two-edged sword. One of the things about traditions, like this, this tradition of, of the washing of the hands so that they might be ceremonially clean, or to wash your copper pots and your dishes and your, your pitchers, all of these things... Uh, are external to the body. And that's what Jesus is saying. That that, that what you eat, it, it's external to you and it doesn't enter into your heart, your innermost being. Traditions deal with externals. But God's commandments deal with the internal. Jesus in His, in his commandments love your enemy. That's a heart issue. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a heart issue. Remember, it was, a, it was a lawyer that said, wait a minute, let's get some clarification here. Who's my neighbor? He was looking to see, how far do I have to take this? Which is often a question we have when we read the Word of God. We want some tradition to sell us, you don't have to take it that far. It, it looks, wow, it looks bad. I mean, it looks like we've got to take it all the way. We've got to do it 100%. Let's create a tradition that caps it at 10%. We don't have to go all the way to loving our neighbors. No, that would be too much. But what does Jesus say? Oh, 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 well, there's this guy. He was robbed. He was beaten. He was left for dead. Who was his neighbor? Well, the Samaritan, the one who took care of him. Go and do likewise. It wasn't so much for Jesus. It wasn't who's my neighbor. It was to whom am I a neighbor? Who will I love? Everyone around me. Traditions, though, traditions deal with the externals. Getting baptized and how you do it, whether you do it in a baptismal font or if you do it in a, in a lake or if you do it in a baptistry like we have, these are externals. Right? We, we believe in believer's baptism, but as Baptists, we don't believe anything special happens. You're not given some special measure of grace. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you when you get baptized. That is an external show of what has already, hopefully, Lord willing, truly happened internally in your life. That's what that is. It's a sign saying this has already happened in my life. We don't hold to that anything special happens when you get baptized. You're proclaiming your faith. But there are traditions that believe something special happens when you get baptized. That grace is given to you that you would not have otherwise unless you get baptized. 
If that was the case, well, yeah, I guess how you get baptized is an important deal. But those are externals. God's commandments deal with the internal, and that's what Jesus is after. He says it's not what outside of you that defiles you, it's what's inside of you. It's your heart. It's what comes out of your heart. That's what defiles you. I, I mean, even, in, even in what we, we consume, not just food, but media, I would say that there is media out there that is bad to consume. There, there is stuff that we should not, you know, little, guard your eyes, little children. You know, let's not see certain things. Let's not hear certain things. Be careful what you see. Be careful what you hear. There are things that if I see or hear them, I am going to be tempted. That temptation is not coming from those things. That temptation is coming from this place right here. And right here. Heart really is your... When they talked about your heart, that was, the, that was where you made decisions. That was where you thought. Your emotions, they were lower down. But this is where you made decisions. We, can, we, we make decisions here and we feel here, right? But when they were talking about heart, it was where you make decisions. Our temptation comes from us. And, and another person may see an image or hear something and not be tempted. So even though we can point to the images or the, the media and say, oh, that media is bad, well, obviously it might not be glorifying God, but whether or not it tempts you or not is, is here, not there. That's external. The temptation comes from internal. It is within our hearts that precede the evil thoughts that lead to fornications and thefts and murders and adulteries and coveting and wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. It is not what is around me. I might use what is around me to do that. But the temptation comes from within. The heart. And that's why God's commandments deal with what is internal into our lives. But traditions, they don't usually hit what is internal. They're external. Behave a certain way. Act a certain way. Kneel here. Do this. Wash your hands a certain way. You can get by a long way with the external practices of tradition, but they don't save us. They don't change us. And that's what Jesus is getting at, that these Pharisees had filled their lives with these traditions to the point that they weren't worshiping God. Remember what He said in the early on bit in verse 6? This people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far away from Me. God doesn't care about our traditions. Our traditions come and go. You know, we, we, we have traditions like Christmas Eve services and Easter services. We don't traditionally have a Good Friday service as our church, but there are churches that do. Those are traditions. There's no requirement that we must celebrate a certain way. These traditions have not always been around. Christmas was not always celebrated as we celebrate it today. There may come a day when it won't be celebrated as it is now. We have traditions of how we structure our church with a pastor, and some churches have deacons, some churches have elders. Some of those things are found in Scripture. I always think it's funny because, you know, honestly, a, a modern-day American pastor is not found in Scripture. It's a tradition of man. 
why we need to not be so tied to the idea. I think it's fine that we have traditions and it's fine that we do things that are not necessarily found in Scripture as long as we continue to go to Scripture. And Scripture informs our traditions. Our traditions do not hinder Scripture. Because what ultimately matters is not proper behavior according to an interpretation of Scripture or proper behavior according to certain traditions. It's okay that churches have traditions. This is why I say traditions are good. As long as those traditions are not getting in the way of us and the Lord and us and Scripture. As long as those traditions are helping us. And as long as we are not elevating them too far. Because the the main thing is our hearts. Right there, Jesus said, their heart is far away from Me. That, That was God's cry. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Everything they're doing to worship me is in vain because their teaching is doctrines, the precepts of men. They don't, they're not close to me. They aren't teaching my commandments. They're not teaching my word. They're just teaching what other men have said. And it doesn't matter how much lip service they give me, their hearts are far away from me. And because that's what God's cry is, and because that's what Jesus says, their hearts are far away from me, we can infer from that that what God desires, what God wants, is our hearts. That God wants our hearts. He doesn't want our worship necessarily. He doesn't want us to make sure that we do you know, this service at this time and that service at that time, and we do our services a certain way this way or a certain way that way. Those things are traditions of men, and they don't matter so much. They can come and they can go. You know, we, we, we sing a song, we have a welcome. We sing three more songs, we have an offering. We have the, serv- the sermon, and then we have another song. That is not ingrained in Scripture. We can change it up. That just seems to be what works for us. Because we have tried to change it up, and we have changed it up quite a bit. Offering used to not be at that point. It used to be at other points. I know of churches that do the offering at the very end of the service. I once, I don't know how many of you remember when I tried to do the sermon like after the second song. Then we could sing a lot more after the sermon. That didn't go over so well. But we tried it. Because these things are just traditions. But God wants our hearts. And as long as God has our hearts, if there are little traditions that help us walk with Him, that's great. And that is fine. But once our traditions become so great, that we can no longer recognize the Word of God when it is spoken to us or when we read it because our traditions get in the way, then our hearts are far away from Him. And that's a bad thing. So as we, as we teach disciples to observe all that Jesus has commanded us, let's make sure we're not just teaching our traditions. To teach a tradition is fine. But as long as it comes in a place lower than the Word of God, that we would be willing to cast off the traditions of men if they got in the way of God getting to our hearts. Because God, ultimately, more than anything else, God wants our hearts. Not our keeping traditions. Not our lip service of worship. Our hearts. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we, we come to give You our hearts, we pray. We ask, Lord, that You help us to recognize those things in our lives that are traditions. It can be ascribing to a certain translation of a Bible. Sometimes, Lord, we hold up a certain translation over other translations and we recognize that's a tradition of men. Maybe it's a tradition of ourselves, but it is not You. Lord, we, we pray that You would convict us of the times that we hold up tradition, practices, things that we have created, even if we have created them based on Your Word, but they are not Your Word. And sometimes we hold them up to that level and we hurt one another and we hurt new believers and we hurt people who would become believers, but because of our traditions, they don't ever get to know Jesus. Father, we pray You would forgive us. And we pray that You would help us to hold our traditions lightly, but to hold firmly to Your commandments. Lord, may we guard what You have taught us. May it be foremost in our minds and in our hearts. May we strive to live as Jesus taught. Not as we have been handed traditions to behave. We pray, Lord, for anyone here who has based their their faith and their practice on traditions and not Your Word. We pray that You would set them free from that that they would be following close to You with their hearts. We pray, Lord, for anybody who has been hurt by the traditions of churches. Maybe they're here today because another church hurt them with tradition and practices that are not in Your Word. We pray, Lord, that they would receive freedom and healing. We pray, Lord, that our focus as a church would be on what You have commanded us, what Your Word says. May we use our traditions wisely to help people grow in Jesus, not to hinder them in their walk, Lord, we pray. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.